What is a proto mold? Hmm? All kids love log. Tis the podcast log. Yes, log. Of the Star Wars Collector's Archive log. Oh. Whenever the Star Wars Collector's Archive publishes a new blog, this podcast will log its contents, interview its writers, and go deeper. It's the Kivecast Blog Log Pod. You, sir, are a mouthful. Relax and just take life easy for a little while. Because it only lasts for a little while. All right, Steve. Okay, Steve. We just recorded for like 20 minutes, but we went off the rails talking about Skype, dating Romanian girls, and yeah. everything just got a big mess. We don't do fancy intros to this show. We get straight no. to the point. Now it's to Gargan Largan. Listen, this is the deal. There's a new article, and it's an awesome article, and it's about proto-molded figures. And I don't know what they are, and I didn't read the article because I want to be a dum-dum who doesn't understand what proto-molds are. And I want Ben Sheehan, the person who wrote the article, and Ron Salvatore, the person who knows everything, to tell us about it, Steve. Okay? So the first question, I just got to ask the, the right question, Steve. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to take one of these, uh, these proto-mold figures from the actual blog. Okay? It's a, it's a picture of the emperor. I want to go with the emperor. We were going to be wing pilot, but... Steve, I didn't Emperor's, like your Emperor's better. I didn't like your answer, so you're being punished. So we've got the the Emperor, and it's it looks like a normal figure. Uh, the head comes off, and I want to know why it's special. But in order to know why it's special, Ben, how would this figure feel different from a normal uh a normal production figure at Kenner? This proto molded Emperor. And this Whoa. is Ben Sheehan, Australian Whoa. Ben Sheehan in America, not in Romania. Hi, hi, Ben. How's it going? <laughs> I'm a little disorientated here right now, but um, <laughs> did that particular figure I can give a bit of insight on because that was actually mine. Um, so that one, the detail is a, is a little uh, little rougher, but it's an internally made uh, figure that, that was produced in, in Ken's model shop from, as Ron had said earlier, but we, we kind of lost him out from a low-yield mold, meaning under less pressure, and it's made cheaply and quickly. Okay, and so, it's, so it's when you say internally, you mean like actually in Cincinnati? Yes, Cincinnati, Ohio, in the okay. in the Kroger building. Okay, yep. so so not you know not like the molds that were in you know because most molds right would be in Hong Kong or or Taiwan or whatever. So these are low yield molds. Now I thought that they were a low yield mold meant they didn't make a lot of things. You're saying they're under lower pressure? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Okay. Like that's low, low yield denotes that. Yes. Okay. So then the Kroger building in Cincinnati, they would have like, and what? How did they actually make the mold itself? Did they use like the hard copy? Where, where did they get the, the the thing for that? Do, do you know that, Ron? So, oh, you can, Ben can go ahead. He's okay. he's the article guy here. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure I feel comfortable with that. Ron's actually been one of my heroes for a long time on that front. But um, <laughs> he's yeah, they pulled that from a. <laughs> they tooled that from a hard copy and um, that that mold. And to be honest, this is one thing I'm not entirely clear on. If those molds were cast, um, meaning was a was a figure or a tooling aid placed into um, molten metal to make that mold, or was it actually um, done another way? So you know, the figure panographed and 
or a duplicating egg cavity created to cut those molds. But yeah, it was it was done in in house at Kenner, and um, the purpose being to produce that low yield um, low yield mold in a way that would produce the figures more quickly than making hard copies. Okay, Steve, I still don't understand low yield. <laughs> Three modernity. Well, so it's it's interesting that they brought up the pressure thing because yeah, I had always kind of uh, gone under this assumption that low yield meant um, you know only a not a huge run, but like a, a small run of, of figures, and then the, the mold w- wouldn't really be usable much beyond that. But it's it's good to know that 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 low yield actually denotes the the pressure that the figures are injected. So that was news to me. So that's that's good to know. Uh, okay. So all right, so then we're we're in Cincinnati. We've we've got a hard copy, and then we make this other kind of mold. And then why? What why why do this why does this exist? I think in order to really understand them, you have to understand hard copies. So you know, a hard copy figure is poured out of silicon molds using resin. You know, and resin is like a two part liquid thing. You mix it up, and then. You, you pour it into a, a, a silicon mold, and you wait a little while, and it catalyzes, and then you pop out the, the parts, you know, and they're hard resin. And the resin is usually like a Dynacast, so it's fragile. So if you drop it, it would break. Okay. It's also prone to, to bubbles being in there, right? So the, the, the work time for a, a hard copy figure is, is pretty extensive. So okay. It, when someone's making something like that, they're they're pouring each part individually. It's got bubbles in it. They have to fill it with filler, sand them off, etc., and so forth. Put it together, and even then, it's pretty fragile. So, and you generally use a hard copy. One of the things you use it for is to make a, a production tool to gen- ultimately generate that. But one of the other things you use it for traditionally is uh, you know using it for a catalog or you know, or, or an industry show like Toy Fair. So. You'd paint these things to stand in for the final project product before it's ready, and uh, and that's what you use them for. But like I said, there's a lot of effort that goes into it, and then they're fragile. So the proto-molded figure, the the thing that it does is that if you can make a a, a cheap, you know, aluminum or Kirksite mold and injection mold it with some sort of plastic, you can knock those things out quicker, and they're not fragile. Right, so okay. once you have that mold, you can bang, 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 and you can shoot these things in in some kind of plastic, put them together, and then you have samples that you can send around or use for photography, and they're easier to make, and they're not you know subject to breakage nearly as easily as the other pieces are. So, without understanding the hard copy, I don't know if you can understand the point of the proto mold. Right, uh, but you know, like Ben mentioned earlier, the, the Developmentally, the proto-mold figure is a dead end. It, it doesn't lead to anything else. You're just making it as a stand-in for something during the production process. Like you need to pick, you need uh, a representation of the final product in the middle of the production process. So you bang these things out, and you use those for photographs. And meanwhile, the production process is going on, you know, on a different track behind the scenes. You right. know what I mean? Um, yeah, I like so that I idea that, of a of a dead end. And, yeah, and so so they they would make a fair number of these, and then do we know? I mean, this might be too specific of a question, but do we know like the the time it would actually take? Like, did it not take a long time to make the mold to make the figure compared to a hard copy? I mean, is that like is that a question of like days well, versus weeks? 
Well, I can probably jump in and say that to make a hard copy, you're literally pouring resin into a um, into a mold and waiting for it to catalyze. And why you think that might you know not take that long? You're looking at an overnight process to make one. Okay. And because you're you're pulling those silicon or, or um, room temperature vulcanizing rubber molds off of a hard copy, sorry, off of a sculpt to to make hard copy, so you you're probably going to be dealing with one or maybe a couple of molds, or probably most likely one at a guess. And um, you, you've got quite a waiting time to generate enough to satisfy every department or canner that would want one. Because as Ron said, it's really the the, the role of the of a protomold and initially hard copies before, uh, I guess, they, they came the idea to, to turn to protomold to Star Wars was to represent the product. And particularly for something like photography, to, to make a photo sample of a toy was always a bit of a bottleneck for packaging. So... Right. Um, proto molds allowed you to once you've cut that mold you, on that same day that you've you've got that tool or you've cut or cast that tool and it's functional, you can churn out you know twenty of them if you needed them right away. Whereas you're looking at potentially like a twenty day stretch to make that many hard copies, but you know one person making them. Um, one of the Kenneth sculptors actually started in the in the model shop as a mold maker, and she kind of related this to me and said that look, really they weren't even that good in the sculpting department, who were the first people to make hard copies. They were not great at doing that, and they were they were for the longest time trying to farm out that that work to um to other people, but they were forced to do it. I think right through towards the end of Empire Strikes Back, so that that ate up a lot of their time, meaning they couldn't sculpt. But it also was something that was problematic. And as Ron said, air bubbles were a problem, and you you might wait overnight and not even have a hard copy at the end of the day because you know, or at least the part you were molding didn't work. Right. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's made, like I used to do a lot of casting and stuff sometimes, you know, you'll you'll cast some parts and you'll just pop them out of the mold and you'll be like, well, that's not usable. It's got a giant bubble in it or something. So mm. it's really, it's a wonky process, whereas shooting those things under some pressure out of a plastic material is going to give you a much more, a higher success rate and you're going to be able to make more of them uh, more quickly. So, you know, it, it's a step up if you just want to make something for the purpose of representing the product. Right. Uh, well, so that, yeah. that's awesome. So then they made a fair number of these, but they're still super rare, right? I mean, uh, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen one for sale, or at least I haven't been paying attention to it. Um, yeah, I'd say at the, at the top, I mean, if you want to buy, like, say, an action figure prototype, you know, your hard copies are probably, other than sculpts, you know, hard copies are pretty high up there, but proto molds are not far behind. Uh, Usually something like that's a really premium piece. They do not come up often. I don't know. Maybe ben might have info on how many tended to be made, but you know, I, you certainly don't see many that hit the market, that's for sure. Yeah, that's, that's really a fair point, Ron. Based on what I've been told by people and by a few people, it really wasn't you know, at absolute maximum a dozen of those things that were painted up for any one character and, and less as time went on is what I've been led to believe. So well, in terms of what survived, right. I don't know. Okay, yeah. so, they, so they would make them and give them to different departments. And, and so then how did these, who ended up, how did any of them end up in, in collectors' hands? Were they just like, people took them home just like anything else or? Well, yeah, I mean, it's just anything else, you know, it's people turn them up. I mean, the first time I recall seeing stuff like that for sale was, I think, Steve's favorite dealer, um, Intergalactic. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she had some, this is in the 90s, you know, Steve Sansweet had bought some from her. And, of course, at the time, this is another thing I guess we have to get into. At the time, they were referred to as hard copies because a lot of the times, uh, Kenner folks will not distinguish between 
a proto mold and a painted hard copy. To them, it's oh, this is just a hard copy of the figure. Right. Um, so I think Steve bought them as hard copies. I think, and you know, but it was always mysterious. Was like you looked at them, I was like, well, these are actually plastic. This is in- interesting. Like I've seen hard copies that are resin, clearly, and and, and that, yet these are plastic. And then she had some more that she brought out for Celebration One in Denver, and I believe pretty much all those were also in that plastic and it only became apparent what those were i think you know with me and chris and todd and fluffy and and gus i think we're in cincinnati and someone explained like oh well yeah we you know we had the ability to make you know aluminum or i think you know kirksite is another material used we had the ability to make these molds for these things and the and the, to make these quickly out of plastic and it was like oh well that, there you go that's that explains uh, what those pieces are because they were clearly plastic, um, although, uh, you know, originally, I think, I blame myself for this, but I think we referred to them as internal first shots, because Ooh. first shot meaning that was an injection-molded piece, mm. and internal meaning it was done at Kenner, but that's really a bad term, because first shot's kind of nonsensical, it's nonsensical, because it's not you're, not, you're not testing the mold, it's not like a first shot means you're doing a first shot out of the production mold. So we tried to change it to proto-mold, which is more accurate, but people still say internal first shot. It drives me crazy. (laughs) Well, well, do you know who's going to fix that, Ron, is Ben's article is going to fix that. Exactly, yeah. Get everything right. uh, I'd like to think that, but I don't think that's the case. I I think that um, it's going to confuse people for for a long while, yeah. um, We're we're, going to keep that even. Well, even with what further to what Ron said about um, you know being told that they were hard copies, that happened to me um, when I bought my first proto molds. They were sold to me as hard copies um, on eBay. Um, it was a Kenner designer that sold them, and he referred to them as hard copies. And when I got them, I knew right away that they weren't. You know, I, I kind of felt I knew pretty well what they were when they turned up in Australia. Even though like collecting prototypes from Australia is often like you know what's in the box because you've never seen it in person before. But right. I, I right away knew that it wasn't a wasn't a hard copy. Yeah, I mean, and to tie, tie into the, the hard copy idea, uh, I think if people listening are really familiar with that, you know, generally speaking, there's there are exceptions, but hard copies are often the torso will be cast in like one solid piece of, of say, Dynacast, you know, which is a urethane material, and the limbs and the head will be attached with pins. So it's not like the torso is not in two halves. Uh, oftentimes, the protomolded figures are constructed in the same way. So. That, that that torso is just one solid lump of that plastic, mm. right? And then right. the limbs yeah. fit in with pins, which is of course you know way different from a production figure, which has the two injection molded ABS plastic halves of the torso, and, and that the limbs are sandwiched in there, right? So the construction of the proto mold is often very similar to a hard copy. So if you're a employee at Kenner and you're not necessarily someone who made these, you know, you're just some guy who ended up with them. Hard copy is probably a decent explanation just, because yeah, just become the use and the construction. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's a hard copy, and you know, well, how is this really different from the figure? But for a collector purpose, if it's not urethane and, and actually a hand cast material, uh, we yeah. don't consider those hard copies. Okay, so so Steve, I have a skyish point. Should I should I inject it here? <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know why you even ask. You got okay. <laughs> So it's kind of a weird sort of Freudian thing. But I used to remember whenever I'd go out to dinner with my mom, she she'd wear like a slip underneath her dress, and she'd always say, "Is my slip showing?" 
And I remember like not really knowing what it meant and understanding something to do with underwear and sort of weird Freudian, probably, you know, proto-sexual feelings and everything. And, um, and, and when, I, when I look at these proto-mold figures, it's like their uh-huh. slips aren't showing. You know, like you don't see the torso line. Like, so that does make them really interesting <laughs> because like on all production figures, you always see how it's made, you know? That, like, that, uh, right, that that parting line yeah yeah, yeah. You, see, you see the parting line you, like, you, <laughs> you can't believe you sexualize parting lines that's really just uh, <laughs> it, only Do you here. have any photos <laughs> of your mom <laughs> <laughs> only only here but it's not just sexualized it's, it's actually like fully freud you know because it's like a weird thing you know like you know yeah 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 you guys yeah. They're they're weird pieces. There's no they doubt. Are. I think that's why collectors like them. Or you know, I know like Brock Walker is really in the proto molded figures. But I mean, it's when you hold one, it's it's clearly you're in a different world from a production figure. You know, it's like this is different. And also, production figures typically the the limbs are, are PVC and the head is PVC and the the torso is ABS plastic. So there's a different quality. A lot of proto molds is yeah. just all the same all the same material from top to bottom. Yeah. So in so it's brittle. The whole thing is like stiff and brittle, and it, it, you're yeah. just when you hold it, it's like this is not normal. This uh, this is a similar feeling to a hard copy, where it's like you're in a whole different world. Well, it's it's like yeah, what Ben, ben I think describes. Too. It's like a, a rough facsimile, right? It's not a hard copy. Yeah, is like right. a, a refined, you know, yeah, fac, almost, facsimile. Almost like a bootleg. Right. Yeah, like the like, pilot, yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, mm-hmm. I mean, the Beaming Pilot has hand carbonized arms. Right and um right. and it, it, the the head on that figure is made of like rubber and I mean really soft PVC rubber. What Ron said is like that's been my experience as well. But every so often you'll get one that's just got oh, a really wacky composition in in terms of um of yeah like well, that's just true. The there's no use. rules with these things either, right? Like as long yeah. as they can, they, as long as they can pop them out and they look okay, like you're good, right? So it's it, there's. Mm. I have seen some oddball things, so I guess it doesn't surprise me to hear that the head of that one is PVC. And I didn't even realize those arms were Han. Oh. You said Han Trinko? Yeah. Is that what you yeah. said? Well, uh, yeah, a couple of them. The, so go ahead. Yeah, 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 that was exactly right. Yeah. And, and and so, okay, a couple simple questions. So they were hand-painted then, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're hand-painted yeah, by probably by the same people who made it. Then how... How, like, what's the sort of, like, generalized difference in, so then if they're painted, they look rougher, they don't look quite as, like, precise, they look weird, there's yeah. just less details because it's not yeah, they're, machine? They're, 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 they're painted with, um, I think it's with um, flash vinyl paint, like, so it's a really matte type paint generally, and it, right. and depending on how the, once the, once the plastic, um, or once the low yield uh, plastic shot has come out of the mold and been pieced together, if it's not, I think if they're not treated properly after that and they're painted the paint doesn't stick really well so you see some that show up where there's almost no no paint stuck to them at all but um yeah i mean they they just have that they're really distinctive almost i i don't want to use the term bootleg and pretend it's accurate but they have this kind of it looks like what it should look like but just doesn't quite look the same and there's um there's a size differential too they can be a little bit smaller in a production figure because the the mold the way it's the way those figures are shot under less pressure, there's not really any um, care given to the amount of shrinkage in the in the mold. So invariably, that wound up churning out figures that are a little smaller than production figures. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I think also too. Remember that a production figure, you're doing that out of a, a production tool that has had 
quite a bit yeah. of work has gone into that thing, right? So there's polishing and, and some tweaking and, and everything to get that thing looking just right, to get those figures to come out looking yeah. like something you'd buy in a store, whereas that's not the case with this. You know, it's basically a one a one shot deal. You know, they make that, that, that relatively cheap tool or cheap mold, and then they're stamping out figures, and there's just imperfections. I mean, in the, the Ben's blog post, you can see that emperor. I mean, that... It looks okay. I mean, you could maybe put it in a catalog photo and it would look all right, but <laughs> it's not jumping out at you as a, a beautiful thing. It, it's not the, the the surface is basically probably pretty rough, and then the matte paint kind of adds to that. So it looks I don't know what the word is a little primitive maybe uh, compared to a yeah. Christian figure. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, hey Steve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, should I should I get into another Freudian point? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, so so in in his nineteen ninety nine. Does this have something to do with your parents' underwear again? No, 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 it's not. <laughs> so in his nineteen nineteen essay, Das Unheimlich, uh, Sigmund Freud developed the concept of the uncanny. You know, but in German, it actually means like the unhomelike. So, yeah. So yeah. like, it's like things that feel similar but are a little bit off. So I think that <laughs> yeah. these things, based on what you're describing, because I've never held one of these, has an Unheimlich feeling yeah where like I, that, that's accurate like yeah I, I just keep looking at this hammerhead and the hammerhead uh proto mold and it's like it's similar except you know his his slip isn't showing and <laughs> it's like the the paint's a little bit different and it's a little bit rougher and it's just it's in that sort of uncanny yeah. well, i just like to point out that as far as like recognizing things that are a little bit off it takes one to know one sky yes <laughs> you <laughs> Actually, just recognizing one of your kind there. Yes, um, and the, and but some of them are unpainted. Is that right? Yeah, you will. I've got a Rebel Commando picture there. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, not many, um, but that 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 one that Ben posted there, that Rebel Commando, is is certainly a cool a cool thing. So I mean, you don't see that many of those. And there's also in, in Ben's piece, there's um two pictures of uh, Greedo and Hammerhead. Which turned up, um, and uh, you know, I guess we should tackle that. But that's those pieces are, are different, you know, than other proto molded items that have turned up. But they've been right. lumped in with that. Um, yeah. And I think if well, you see that may, hammerhead maybe we there. We should just make people. Maybe people should go to the article about that. I think people should have to read about that because yeah, they I, I don't because I'm it's getting just, overwhelmed, and if I'm getting <laughs> overwhelmed, then the rest of our dum dums in the audience are getting overwhelmed. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I guess it's just. You know that's kind of a good example of a curveball item, and I think that also ties into the the I guess sort of unfortunate controversy that Penn's post generated in, on Facebook groups, oh, yeah. um, which is that there you know people it's it's a little bit vague on what you know I don't know if necessarily these the cantina creatures are proto molds in the same sense that Emperor is a proto mold. I think they're right. a little bit different, and uh, you know I think. There's also a set of, you know, the first 12 figures, which maybe were made out of molds that were production molds, but were not yet ready for prime time that folks have claimed as proto-molds. But, you know, I don't know if those, despite the claims, I don't know if they're exactly what we would consider a proto-mold in the traditional sense. So okay. there's a, a weird, vague line there that people well, are, are, are constantly debating of what, right. you know, where, where it begins and where it ends. You know? Well, it's, with all the the later stuff, like by the time you get to the the Jedi figures, it seems pretty clear exactly 
Yeah. In terms of like categorizing those, those earlier figures from the earlier lines is where things get kind of difficult to to suss out. I think so. I I think I I would agree with Chris Tregulius's post in some of those Facebook threads that some of the things being claimed as proto molds now are not clearly different than what we have understood them to be. You know, that that B Wing pilot is 100% a proto mold, what we would have always understood one to be. And some of those other things, maybe there's a better word for what those are. Um, What's that? Well, personally, like from from my my experience talking to people in tooling um, from Canada, was that when those molds, when your production molds are being trialed, you you test them every so often and um, you're pulling a a 3D injection model representation of the figure out of those molds. And I think those first 12, um, because you can follow detail on some of them through to production figures, there, when we talked about a dead end um, molding process for a, a protomold, because it really is only designed to, to be that kind of quick fix to getting a 3D product representation to um, into the hands of the right people, that I, I think it's a fair bet that if you can follow, you know, changes in in those those first 12 figures we're talking about through to production, that it kind of indicates they've come out of a mold that was destined for for a production mold that's being refined in the background. Right, so yeah, so that, I think so that's that makes the, a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it was probably just kind of simplify this this debate. So the debate is whether or not there are proto molded figures of the first twelve, and there are prototypes that some claim are and some are not. And the main reason to say that they are not is that they were most likely not made from dead end molds. Yes, yeah, that would be correct. I did it, Steve. <laughs> that was like eight pages of fighting back and forth between two friends but, of the you podcast. Know, it, Regardless of what we say is not necessarily going to clear it up in everyone's mind, but I mean, I think that's mm. kind of what the debate is between, right. you know, what you're an early mold that's that's in the process of being tinkered with, if that is the case, versus something that was made purely to to shoot a certain number of samples out of that never went anywhere beyond that. And right, I think there's a super clear line between the emperor and say you know, a, a Han Solo first shot from the first 12, regardless of how early that first shot seems to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a less clear line between, say, the the hammerheads featured in this piece and, and those figures, you know. So there is a bit of fudge factor. You know, I, I've always been somewhat skeptical about what those cantina creatures are. They're... they're we were told when we bought them, you know, that the painted hammerhead you see there, I got a hammerhead, you know, a Greedo was found years ago, and, you know, the other creatures as well, Walrus Man and, and Snaggletooth, they were described as being protomolds, but they are quite a bit different from, say, that B-Wing pilot. So, I, you know, they have, their torsos are in two pieces and su- such, so, I mean, I don't yeah. There is a bit of fudge factor there, but, you know, when you get into the Empire and Jedi stuff, it's much more clear-cut, I think. Um, hey, hey yeah, Steve, probably... can I, Steve, can I talk um, about Freud and the fudge factor? Or <laughs> <laughs> I don't I'm know saying... if you dare, dare go that far. Because, but... because he thought that some people, when they were younger, um, had a sort of an explosive fudge factor, and then others had sort of a retentive fudge factor. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Ben. No, I was just going to say, I think the, the first really clear-cut example of a protomold is the um, rocket set protomold on the archive. Ooh. Like oh, yeah, one, I yeah. kind of yeah, I, I look at those, those cantina creature figures, and what the first thing that kind of leaps out of me about them is that they are almost an identical or, or a carbon copy of some of the, um, the, 
the first shot pieces to come out of the Clash of Titans line that Mattel did. And it looks to me like the the torso of those figures is a, is a you know is a a production mold type shot where it's you know it probably yeah. if you looked inside those things it would have the same um you know, same connectors as you would see in a production figure. But I think the rocket fed proto mold, uh, I mean, without having held that in my hand to look at that, always struck me as looking like a, a, a proto mold should. I mean, even if the limbs aren't. Um, yeah, my memory that, of it is that it yeah. was yeah. Yeah, and and that that I think is. Uh, is, is the appearance of something once you're used to seeing it and I'm blessed to have seen a lot of proto molds I think that you really recognize that line of delineation between what is and what isn't when you see a lot of them uh, and that's that's just only by virtue of being blessed to have seen a lot of them it's it's not wisdom or anything like that it's maybe just a bit of experience looking at them yeah you know with all mm-hmm. this stuff it's like once you've seen you know when you've seen a lot, collecting in general, not even just Star Wars stuff, but it's like once you've seen a ton of things, like you start to really get a feel, like, you know, what is a, a, a legit action figure sculpt and what isn't? You know, it's hard yeah. to make a call unless you've really seen dozens of them. Um, same goes for hard copies and, and same goes for proto molds. Like, I think once you really get a feel for it, it's like, oh, yeah, well, this is what this is. Whereas, I mean, most collectors, I totally get it. Like, I think a lot of collectors especially ones who aren't really versed in prototype collecting it's just kind of like wait what you know i don't really understand you know yeah and, and frankly i've given i've had collectors to my house and i've put one in their hand and tried to explain it, and they still sort of don't get it i was like well you're holding this you know clatu skiff and it's obviously heavier with a one big one piece torso with this different material it's like how can you not recognize <laughs> this is not a production figure but it's still a little bit vague you know it, you know it all depends you know you, a lot of experience in, in investigating these things helps you out. Yeah, right. Creepy. Awesome. Well, and, listen, this this I think is just the right amount of information, Steve, because I, I feel like I know what a proto mold is now, and good, good. and I want to go read the article on the SWCA dot com. I mean blog dot SWCA dot com. There's also a good point I think too to be made is that remember that say eighty eight. And EV99 were not sculpted at one-to-one scale, so those were two-to-one. So any sort of one-to-one prototype of those figures would have almost had to be a proto-molded figure. Like a hard copy that was directly made from a silicon mold would be at the two-to-one scale, at the same scale as the sculpt. But a proto-mold, you could probably panograph down, right, to, you know, a quick mold and make some injection-molded samples. So you're never going to find a one-to-one scale you know, a three three quarter inch eighty eight hard copy. It's always going to be a proto mold. So I mean, right. that's another important point to make for some right. of those figures. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well just to, yeah. To Scott, sorry, just really quickly. This is like take a second. Yeah. Just to your point about understanding proto molds, the fact that Kenner people will sell you them and tell you they're a hard copy, <laughs> it really kind of lends itself to the idea that you can't be really faulted for not understanding the difference because if the people that work for the company that made them didn't even get that, I, as a collector, it's a bit hard to get your head around. Yes. Well, then yeah. I, there's no yeah. doubt. Well, I I really appreciate it. what I'm going to do is the the first the first like attempt at recording this episode. Um, I asked Ben 
what a proto mold was, and he gave a beautiful answer, but it was way too advanced. It, it, it reminded me of Yehuda in an Australian accent, except 100% accuracy. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Yehuda, I'm not sure Yehuda falls into the advanced category sometimes, but Ben's answer was really very good. You should maybe paste um, it later on. So, you know, yeah, that, that's how I'm going to do it right. Like, I'm going to do it. This is the last thing. The outro is going to be just that thing. I might even do it twice so you can listen to it because he goes into a lot more detail, and it's really fun because I can't wait to hear it because I'll actually understand like the majority of the words um so so yeah so i, I really i'm really i'm really you. glad that that ben wrote it up because i think it's a it's a good piece and i think it helps people understand it and uh you know even even the controversy is good in a way because it gets people talking and uh, you know hopefully people are respectful and polite even if they get their tempers you know flared a, a little bit but you know i think it it's a good piece that you know people can take a look at and even if they want to disagree with it you know that's fine you know i i think it's pretty much on point but uh you know i, I hopefully people go and read it and, and that's part of the great thing about this blog that's now five years old is it's really fulfilling the function that the archive has fulfilled for 25 years you know i mean you know we 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 gave a speech up there ron steve and i about the value of the archive and and it's really right here in this kind of essay. And with the blog, getting Ben in there and having it added, it really adds a lot. So, well, yeah, and even disagreement is, uh, you know, and debate is it, it, at least not from all perspectives, but is is pretty helpful from time to time. You know, people can learn as they go through the different opinions and whatnot. So, yeah. All right, Steve. I think we'll we'll be able to get this under thirty-five minutes. So this is a real blog log pod. Are you yeah. feeling good? Yeah. Do you think we're ready to say goodbye to everybody? I think, yeah. I think uh, given the, the shaky start, I think we're in pretty good shape. Oh, my God. So, I love this episode, yeah. Steve. Yeah. Thank thank you guys both for, for yeah. coming Thanks on. Thanks for coming on, Ben. I, I hope we yeah. get some more uh, blog stuff from Ben because his yes. stuff is always really good, I think. Yes. Well, thank you. I feel, I feel awfully flattered by that, but I just want to thank you guys for having me on here and letting me contribute to the blog. It, it's, you know, that's kind of a bit of a dream for me. It's, it's nerdy and geeky that my found because <laughs> my, you know, the archive was you know, it, I grew up. My collecting grew up with the archive, so it's a bit of a bit of a kick. I get a bit of a kick out of that to contribute. I'm just I'm just going to hit stop here and then insert uh, Ben's awesome uh, 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 over overview. So okay, all right. So, and actually, before I do that, um, he sent us a message. Ben sent us a message uh, mentioning that he sort of. I mean, there's so many terms here. It's very difficult that he sort of misspoke uh, at a certain point during this podcast or during this upcoming overview. So I just want to say these things to clarify. I'm going to read directly from his message. And uh, you're wondering, am I going to try an Australian accent? No, I'm not going to. I'm just going to read it. I don't go for silly accents. Ben says, crap, I just realized I should have mentioned that Kirksite is a proprietary blend of zinc and aluminum, not lead. And also, I should have addressed that the uh, rocket FET that I referenced is not from a card back. The proto-mold was on store display. Well, two store displays. He apologizes and does not want to introduce any further error there. Precision without my Australian accent, which oddly ends up going into Liam Neeson impersonation. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. Okay, here's Ben's fantastic, weird, long overview of the proto-mold process. Well, I, I kind of came to the idea of writing the article after your um, your podcast where you, you kind of touched on. I realized a few of the questions that people had had never really been answered. I didn't feel, at least not outside maybe, you know, a, a conversation or that type of thing. But also because it, 
it's generally confused a lot of people when they see these figures that, that tend to be moulded in you know non-production colours or they maybe have a different composition of PVC and they, they try and fit them in the box of what a first shot is and they, they come up with the idea that since there's some moulding differences, they're actually protomold. And I think that really stems from the idea that a protomold, to follow that line of thought, they think a protomold might mean that the figure comes from a mould that's not a production mould. And that isn't necessarily the case given a production mould is refined over a period of time. And so you can get um, different shots out of it as they're trialling it that might might look like for all intents and purposes then they're not leading towards a production figure when in fact they are. And the distinction really between a proto-mould and a, and a figure that's coming from a production mould is that the proto-mould is coming from a mould that's pretty much a dead end unto itself. And it's been done in a way that's cheap and fast and, and it has some... There's some material dis, um, distinctions to a protomold that um, that you don't really see replicated anywhere else. In that, it tends to be that that milky white colour. You, you get often limbs and the torso and head in that same milky white colour. But also, there's other things like if you look inside those figures, you, I don't think you're going to see anything that that reflects production processes adjoining two torso halves together, for example. And also, you're looking at less detail, not more, because when you're when you're making a rapid prototype mould. You want to be producing that as quickly as possible, and part of that involves polishing that mold out with kind of within you know an inch of its life. And without wanting to ramble on too long here, you're you're looking at something that can be polished that way to make the mold functional, and you can remove detail without it really being a problem. And so, in addition to it being cast probably or or, or cut a little more roughly, it's it's also going to be treated differently at the point you're refining it to make it a working mold. I think Ben gave you kind of like uh, the advanced. Uh the advanced course description. I mean, I think the for dummies description is 